Hello, and welcome to Radio Free CSU, the official podcast of the California Faculty Association. My name is Audrina Redman, and I'm the host for this 10-part series, Stronger Together, here on Radio Free CSU. This series is inspired by the intentional anti-racism and social justice transformation CFA began in late 2016. In each episode, we'll discuss one of our 10 guiding principles with a CFA leader activist. Our hope is that you too will be inspired to engage in anti-racism and social justice work and join us again for more conversations about why an anti-racism social justice transformation is necessary. I'm joined by Charles Toombs, a professor and chair of Africana Studies at San Diego State University and the statewide vice president of the California Faculty Association. Professor Toombs and I will be discussing the fourth of 10 CFA anti-racism social justice principles. The principle reads, we acknowledge that we can be part of the solution by being intentionally committed to addressing it, and the it is racism. Thank you, Charles, for joining us today. Thank you, Audrina. So let's jump right in. What does that statement mean? we acknowledge that we can be part of the solution by being intentionally committed to addressing it. A couple of things stand out. First, that whatever we do has to be intentional. And for me, that means being deliberate and consistent and being open to talk about racism, not to talk around it, but to talk about what racism is in our organization, in the state, and in the world. Exactly. Uh, so what exactly is CFA doing? I mean, to, to say that, that, we, that the organization is vested in anti-racism and social justice is one thing, but the doing it part is another. What's CFA doing? CFA has done quite a bit since we uh, began uh, focusing on this transformation. Uh, leaders have gone through training, um, three days of eight-hour training. And uh, what is AR? Anti-racism training, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes. Um, And during this training, we were able to begin the process of actually looking at the issues of race in America and in our organization directly. Uh, In addition to that, we've changed our bylaws to make those bylaws more inclusive so there would be opportunities for more underrepresented members to have leadership roles. And we have made anti-racism and social justice one of our core missions uh, statements. Okay. Uh, how, so the, that sound, those sound like ways in which CFA is, is ensuring the commitment to addressing racism, changing the bylaws, uh, training the leaders, uh, making it a core principle of the organization. Is there anything else that CFA is doing? We're also developing workshops for members, uh, for members at statewide meetings, but also we want to make sure that we're able to bring this work to the campus and chapter levels. Yeah, where, where, where the members are. Where the members are and where a lot of work has to be done. Yes, yes. So speaking of a lot of work needing to be done, what might be some of the obstacles that you can anticipate with that, um, with moving these, this work to the campus level? 
Uh, some of the obstacles are that some of our members are not necessarily invested in the idea that anti-racism and social justice issues are a part of union work. Uh, many of our members, or some of our members, are certainly concerned with the bread and butter issues. Uh, they're concerned with salary and academic freedom and some of these issues. Uh, our goal is to let them know that union work has always been about social justice, Maybe not always about anti-racism, but uh, union work and union rights are always about social justice. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever we ensure in bargaining applies to everyone equally. Mm -hmm. Speaking of bargaining, what happens when we engage in a bargaining, uh, the next round of bargaining? We were able to sign a tentative agreement this time, but what, what happens down the road when we go back to the bargaining table or there's that next big budget fight for the CSU. How do we, how do you, how, how is CFA thinking, planning to make sure that this focus of anti-racism and social justice remains at the center, that we are true to, to that new core principle of anti-racism and social justice transformation? Let me tackle the budget fight and budget issues first. Um, because... 70% of our students are now students of color or underrepresented students. Uh, it in fact means that when we advocate for our students, we are always dealing with anti-racism and social justice issues. Um, our rally on April 4th was at the state capitol was an example of that. We want increased funding because we want the students that we have now in the CSU uh, to have the same benefits and opportunities uh, as 30 years ago when the students were predominantly white. Uh, so that's a, that will be on, an ongoing fight. Uh, when it comes to bargaining, uh, as we advocate for lecture rights, that certainly is a social justice issue when the majority of faculty in the CSU are lecturer faculty. Uh, moreover, whenever we have an opportunity to specifically focus on issues related to faculty of color, uh, students of color, we will do that as we did in our last contract when we were able to get uh, an article addressing exceptional service to students. Uh, and our intention was to uh, really begin to delve into the cultural taxation piece, even though we could not absolutely say that in the language. And cultural taxation is that faculty of color and women faculty do a lot more service work. Uh, they particularly pay a lot of attention to students outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. I was Thank you for further defining cultural taxation. You used that term, and I, I want to make sure that, that our listeners know what that term is. Is, is there anything more you want to say about cultural taxation? Yes. Um, one of the problematics of cultural taxation and why it is called a tax is that because uh, faculty of color and women faculty who do this exceptional service uh, often are not doing all of the publishing that they need to do. It takes up a lot of time and space. And because most of us are most principally committed to teaching and making sure that students have success at the university, our energies often go there mm -hmm. first, mm -hmm. and so we might neglect some of our research activities. And that's what this uh, contract article 20.37 is meant to 
provides some relief. It, it provides assigned time so that you have um, opportunities to do your service work and then maybe not teach an additional class right. that you can therefore do your research and publishing. So that is clearly an example of how CFA's engagement and focus on anti-racism and social justice shows up in the bargaining fight. That's shows right. Shows up for faculty, for students, for the university. That's right. And when we commence our next bargaining, I'm not sure all of the ways in which it will. Uh, certainly academic freedom is an issue uh, where faculty who are addressing issues of race and class and gender, uh, et cetera, have to have the right to do that, to be able to speak freely about those issues. So we'll see how all that goes. Right. But certainly our bargaining team is committed to moving anti-racism and social justice forward where we can right. in bargaining. Well, I can see that that's going to be an issue given the political times that we're in, given that some faculty are being targeted by groups and students on campus, uh, given that on some universities where faculty don't have a union, like CFA, for example, people are losing their jobs That's right. for teaching what they have gotten their PhDs in uh, because it makes some people uncomfortable or it's not in line with, with those viewpoints. That's right. So yes. the academic freedom issue would probably be a pretty big one to tackle in the next round of bargaining. So, so that's good. That's, it's good to, to hear how CFA is invested in this and to have some concrete examples of, of that work. But along the way, there are individual obstacles and difficulties because the work moves because individuals are engaged in it. C can you like, give us some ideas of your own obstacles with doing this work, how you have uh, processed through this, even you, even though you are not you're a professor of Africana studies, you've been active in the union for a long time. Uh, this was a new thing. Well, yes, it was, and uh, and is, and I think an obstacle that was anticipated and yet not uh, anticipated was what was the reaction going to be of our white colleagues to this work. Uh, for many of our white colleagues uh, who perhaps have the right, you know, social injustice uh, values, it doesn't translate into action most of the time. And many of them do not actually delve into the issues beyond the surface. So in beginning this work, and even during the training that leaders went through, I think it was eye-opening for a lot of our white colleagues uh, to see sometimes the different point of views, uh, the different lenses that their um, uh, uh, fellow colleagues of color uh, approached a similar topic or issue. And I think some white colleagues who perhaps viewed themselves as progressive or liberal uh, were just not aware of how complex these issues are mm -hmm. and how faculty of color and members of color felt and had to live uh, through these issues on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really developing that critical race theory lens that look at this from other angles other than your own. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I remember when we first 
uh, took to our board of directors um, the anti-racism and social justice transformation that we wanted approval uh, of them from, I recall uh, a member saying, but I'm not racist. And that became very telling because no one is accusing you or even thinking perhaps that you're individually racist. We wanted to confront the systemic racism that is a part of our organization, and our organization is no exception. We live in America, and most institutions and organizations um, have rampant systemic racism. Right, right. Give us an example when you say systemic racism so that folks can follow what it is that we're talking about. What is an example of systemic racism? In our organization, I think it has really centered around who makes the decisions, who creates sort of policy, uh, and on the surface, it looks like perhaps that our organization, you know, is, and I'm, I'm putting this in quotation marks, although you cannot see it, uh, that we're diverse. So we have board of directors who represent lots of ethnic groups. But many of these folks have little say-so in the decision-making. And one of the ways that we are certainly beginning to change is that there were always small groups that made decisions and then brought them to the table. So one of the changes now is that more of us who are uh, part of the leadership are in some of these small groups now. Uh, and so that's the way that we're changing, but in terms of it being an example of systemic racism, white folks were the ones who were making those decisions in our organization. And that doesn't mean that it was uh, intentional, and I'm using air quotes also, it doesn't mean it was intentional, it just means it was a function of the way things were. It was a function of this organization. Mm -hmm. That's how this organization operated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so what is it going forward, Yes. moving forward with this anti-racism and social justice for us, what can others, uh, particularly uh, faculty and other leader activists of CFA who identify as Caucasian or white, what can, what can what can they do, help to do, to ensure uh, that they're part of the solution uh, and intentionally committing themselves to the work? Just on a personal level in terms of my interactions with some of the leaders, uh, white leaders, some of those leaders have got to step back and they have got to share the work and they have to share the power. And it's difficult for many of them. Uh, giving up power, no one really wants to do it. Um, and they have to recognize that members and leaders of color are going to continue to ask you politely, nicely, to give up some of your power and share it. And we will do that in all the meetings that we have at every opportunity. Uh, it is critical for the work now and the decision-making to be shared mm -hmm. by 
all leaders, and we're continually adding new leaders. Um, so that's something that right. uh, my white colleagues can do. And it doesn't, we respect the work you do. We respect uh, your decision-making, but you need to understand that there are alternative ways of getting the same results. And some of us have, you know, points of view that can move us forward as well. That sounds like making room for social justice, making room for cultural competency, making room for the step beyond just diversity, making room beyond just the representation, but actually having that proverbial a seat at the table with, with voice, that comes with voice. Uh, and I, I, I want to say, if, if we, uh, I could think of it another way, which is you, oftentimes when we're facilitating group discussions and there's that person or that group of people who talk a lot, doesn't yes. matter what it is, they're, yes. they're in class, for example, right? Mm -hmm, you talk mm -hmm, a lot, mm -hmm. and you have to practice that step up, but step back. Yes. Just hold on for a second. Let somebody else, they may take a little longer to find that, that voice, but they're probably going to say the same thing you're going to say. Just slow it down. If, you, if you're that person that you know, it's a step up, step back moment. It's a bringing us all together, because as we started this pro podcast uh, with the term stronger together, because that is what this is all about. This is not about uh, uh, neutering anyone or necessarily, it is a sharing of power. Uh, and so we, it is a, we're asking for, uh, sounds like it's an, it's an ask for folks to step up, step back. It is that, and it is certainly, uh, and my colleagues, my fellow leaders have heard me say this before, but I want to say it again is that often uh, leaders and members of color were put on display uh, when it was necessary to have a person of color. Uh, and I had said to them, and I will say it again, that that has to stop. Uh, and that, as you just mentioned, Audrina, that the power must be shared and there are many ways to get to the same solution and you don't need to talk all the time, and sometimes our white leaders talk all the time so that everything has really been said, and had they just waited, um, other leaders would have probably said the same thing. Right. Uh, so that's something. And, it, and that's, that's transformational. It's ongoing. Uh, it's a learning process for uh, white leaders who've been used to always controlling the conversation. But so it's also a learning process for, for, for leaders of color to learn to speak up more. It, well, it is, because part of our transformation is that we can disrupt. Yes. And we can interrupt. And we never really thought ahead that form before where we could do that. But our, uh, our anti-racism and social justice transformation means, in fact, that everyone is perhaps expecting that on uh, sort of every agenda document that we have. We have a statement at the bottom that actually uh, talks about the fact that we can interrupt, uh, particularly when it seems to be sort of a retreat to the old patterns. Right. I think that that's, that's great. We're going to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Dr. Charles Toombs. Uh, for that perspective and your time. That's the end of our podcast today. 
but do join us again for more conversations discussing the 10 guiding principles of CFA's anti-racism and social justice transformation. Remember, transformation is an action verb, meaning a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. For Radio Free CSU, I'm Audrina Redden. Mm-hmm.